0: This series will shine a light on the shifting dynamics of governmental entities and the ensuing changes in economic or political policies, laws, and regulations that can have a critical impact on the health and future of your business.
1: Hi, my name is Teresa Hebert, and I am the Senior Communications Manager at Quorum, a public affairs software company based here in Washington, D.C. Um, So Rich, I'm excited to dive in on the topic of earmarks, to di- just dive right in, can you give a 30,000 foot overview of what earmarks are as they have existed in the past and kind of what's going on right now?
0: Well, first, uh, first of all, we're recreating these as community projects. So uh, it's always good to have a good, a nice euphemism. And the term earmark had become sort of so loaded in the you know, 2008, 2009, 2010 time frame that uh, we had to actually come up with a different name. So that's where we start. Earmarks uh, really are the ability of a member of Congress or a senator to include a specific dollar amount for a specific project in his district or her district or state um, directed to a particular entity. So for instance, the easiest sort of way to think about it is I want to build a new interchange uh, in a community I represent because it's important for economic development. I'm going to earmark uh, $12 million to help my local government do that project and get it done. Uh, And and the debate around earmarks tends to center on a couple of things. Uh, Should members of Congress have this power? Uh, or should we be leaving those types of decisions to the executive branch, to career staff at, for instance, in that instance, the Department of Transportation? Uh, and members of Congress feel very strongly that the Constitution gives them the power of the purse. And that includes not only appropriating general funding to accounts, but also taking care of issues in their district back home. Uh, so, you know, that that question seems pretty cut and dry at this point. Um, and then the second question, which really put us into the situation in 2010, where earmarks were at, at that point temporarily ended, is how do you deal with uh, some of the ethical issues around earmarks? For instance, a member of Congress who appropriates funding to, to an entity that he has a financial interest in or may benefit from. Or in my uh, off-ramp example, a member of Congress who owns a piece of real estate, You know, two blocks from the off ramp and uh, the off ramp is going to increase the value of his property or her property. So um, you'll see in the requirements from the House Appropriations Committee that have come out now that very clearly there will be ethical. uh, Disclosure on any personal interest a congressman has or a congresswoman has in a project and we will kind of move forward from there and any project that shouldn't be funded that that people have questions about. They'll have the ability to raise that on the House and Senate floor and have the committee leadership address that as the bill moves forward.
1: Who are the key players that folks should be following as this develops as a new process this year in Congress?
0: Well, it's interesting. There's, there's very broad support, uh, frankly, interestingly, in a time when, when we're so partisan about things on both sides of the aisle uh, to bring earmarks back. The House Republican uh, caucus will be moving towards a vote on the issue over the next couple of weeks. That's expected to pass, and Republicans will uh, be allowed to seek earmarks if they so desire. Um, Obviously, you know, you've got a history here where Steny Hoyer, the majority leader in the House, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, Mitch McConnell, um, the the minority leader in the Senate now, all are former appropriators, all uh in their heart of hearts support this um i would say um congressman foyer has sort of been uh the at the tip of the spear of bringing earmarks back he strongly believes this is important and i think you know over the last two administrations without earmarks having handed over so much power to the executive branch the leaders of the appropriations committee um, and particularly senator shelby senator Leahy uh, and the senate who have both of them been here for for decades now, feel very strongly that Congress Congress needs to reassert its power of the purse
1: And has President Biden weighed in on this at all? I know back last time around President Obama had a hand in ending the process of earmarks at that time. but has President Biden weighed in on this this time around?
0: Um, you know, it's interesting. President Obama, uh, even when he was in the Senate, was not a, an, an earmark uh, supporter really. Um, President Biden's a different situation. He, he, um, when he was in the Senate, um, uh, you know, definitely uh, pursued earmarks for the state of Delaware. You can make an argument for a smaller state like that that it's very important uh, that their senators and congressmen, in this case, congresswoman, have the ability to um, advocate for major infrastructure projects and research and development projects in that state. Otherwise, they're not naturally going to. Uh, you know, get their share, if you will. So I don't think that President Biden has has opined one way or another. I think his general approach on a lot of these types of issues is to leave it to the House and the Senate in terms of how to proceed. But uh, I, I think he he's comfortable with the practice based on his history.
1: Are these in practice now in that folks can start asking for support from community projects? Or is there a vote or a bill that needs to pass for them to come back to the process? And given that we have a Democratic controlled House and Senate, is there a world where Democrats are participating in this process and Republicans are not?
0: Good question. Um, So there's no absolute rules change required. In other words, no vote of the entire House or the entire Senate to change the rules. The Republican uh, caucus in the House and, and Republicans in the Senate have been meeting and discussing these issues. House Republicans are, are clearly, you know, moving towards a vote. And it's pretty clear they're they're going to allow their members to request earmarks because they're making it a secret vote. <laughs> and uh, that's a sign for you that uh, they are comfortable with uh, people voting however they want. Uh, Senate Republicans have been a little bit quieter on this. Um, of course, you've got a number of Senate Republicans who are very strong uh, anti-earmark proponents. And obviously then, you know, probably the vast majority of the Republican uh, conference in the Senate, who uh, are much more comfortable and likely to pursue earmarks. So I I think both sides, both parties will end up uh, including earmarks and and making requests of the Appropriations Committee for district or state-specific projects uh, without question. And no rules change will be required Um, The Appropriations Committee in in the House and the Appropriations Committee in the Senate both are putting together their policies. The House Committee just put out the details of its policy to request community projects uh, yesterday um, and included the accounts uh, in which members can request projects. So the picture is becoming much clearer. We're still waiting on guidance from the Senate, and I'm sure that will be coming in the next week or, or so and then members will need to get going on figuring out what they want to request for their districts and and their states.
1: And so transitioning a little bit to folks in the public affairs industry who want to participate in this process, what industries and types of organizations stand to be most involved in this process, especially since there have been some rule changes about who can participate in order to make it uh, new and improved from the last time around?
0: So as as we were talking up front, um, we have sort of the House process and rules out there right now. We're awaiting um, more guidance from the Senate. So I'm I'm speaking at a point where we've only got sort of House rules to go by. But in the House, um, you will not be as a private sector entity be able to request an earmark. It is only open to um, nonprofit organizations and state, local, regional, governmental entities. Uh and in part that's to address the ethics issue uh I spoke to before of a member of Congress owning stock in kind a of company or an entity in which uh you know he he addresses that <clears throat> that issue um from an ethics perspective. Uh in terms of of other rules um to just be aware of, you know, y- you've got to be able to comply with this, doesn't work around other federal requirements that would otherwise apply to this type of grant funding. So for instance, if you're going to ask for my off ramp in that example, again, you still are gonna be subject to the National Environmental Policy Act review that transportation projects require. You're going to have to pay the prevailing wage under federal labor, labor standards, all those types of things. So you need to make, make sure when you get an earmark for something that you understand all the requirements of getting that funding and and can abide by them. Uh, And particularly for a smaller nonprofit, obviously a state or a local government will be able to handle that, but for a smaller nonprofit or somebody who is not as intimate with the requirements uh, that you must comply with when you get federal funding, um, that's something that we're very careful to walk them through. And that is why there are legal compliance and legal overlays to the earmarking process and and why oftentimes folks come to law firms for support in this area.
1: So for an organization who fits those criteria, what would you recommend that they do right now to get the ball rolling on engaging legislators that they might want to help earmark funding for them?
0: So it's very important to, you know, identify a project, sort of understand what accounts uh, you can get funding from in the House right now. Identify a project that fits within those accounts. Just to be honest, if you are a lay person who hasn't worked in the federal funding You know programs with a significant amount of time this is something that getting assistance actually does help on we we have a lot of expertise in this arena and can walk people through know that project will fit because of this but you might want to think about this other project that would be a perfect candidate uh, and we can help people prioritize that way at that point you need to reach out to your congressional delegation both your house members and your senators they will have requirements for what you need to submit to their office and to make life more complex Every office has sort of different requirements in terms of a form that you need to submit to them. So um, you may end up, if you have a delegation with two members of Congress and two senators, doing four slightly different forms on one project. And that makes um, you know your life more complex. But imagine us who do this for a living. Uh, you know, We're doing literally thousands of forms, right? Uh, so it can be very complex. Earmarks are very competitive. It's not a matter of you just, you know, giving your stuff to uh, your member of Congress and the funding is going to come through. The, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a, a money store by any means. Um, so a member of Congress, an average member of Congress is going to get two or three project in spending bills on an annual basis. Um, and he, he or she may have 30, 40, 50 people uh, coming to him asking for support. Uh, you know, so so by no means is this an easy thing. Uh, and you just need to be aware of that. Uh, you certainly don't want to be in a situation of relying on it coming through the back end in a life or death situation. This is a little bit more like the casino than it is the bank.
1: We talk a lot about what organizations should bring to a meeting with a member of Congress when they want them to vote or sponsor a certain way on a bill. Which of those things carry over to this process from a persuasion more person to person circumstance as opposed to the more formal legal processes?
0: Sure. I mean, you certainly want to know your member of Congress, understand what makes him or her tick, and understand what will be attractive to them from a project perspective. So if you're um, working on my off ramp example and you're working with a member of Congress who is very concerned about climate change and wants to make sure he's using his appropriations request to combat it the fact that a renewable energy plant may be siting near uh, that off-ramp and that this will make their costs cheaper uh, in terms of transportation may be a good way to make that case. If you are working with a conservative Republican member in the same situation who doesn't believe in climate change and doesn't care about renewable energy, that's not your case to make. You may just wanna make clear that this is gonna clear up congestion at the nearest intersection and his, his uh, constituents or her constituents are gonna be much happier as a result. So you, you, know, you do need to message uh, these projects in a way that convince uh, the member of Congress, this is something I support, wow, this is right up my alley. And that's uh, you know, kind of a big part of, of uh, getting a project uh, over the line at the end of the day.
1: And there's been a lot of conversation about earmarks bringing back some bipartisanship to the chamber because more folks will have a personal stake in legislation. Do you foresee this bringing any changes to the dynamics for other legislation? That's not specifically funding legislation, but because there are new circumstances where legislators are working together that it might change the way that other legislation is moving.
0: I think that's the hope. On the one hand, you have to ask why things are so partisan today. I I like to let our members of Congress and senators off the hook a little bit here. I think they are actually less partisan (laughs) than many places in the country right now. All they're doing is reflecting our society today. And, you know, the flaring of populism over the last decade uh, and the enhanced partisanship go hand in hand. Historically, this happens in America. Every couple of generations, we you know we've seen it back, uh, you know certainly to um, before World War II and and late '60s. Um, so so this type of partisanship in the country is not you know surprising in that sense. And I think members of Congress do their best on a daily basis to work around that, but their constituents are their constituents, and they are reflecting the people they represent, and that's what they are. Uh, voted into office to go do. Will earmarks help? I think around the edges, anything, any mechanism in place that will help members of Congress work together uh, in a collaborative fashion, whether it's on a local project that they otherwise wouldn't have been involved in together, or a specific piece of policy that they're trying to get done. Anything like that is going to be helpful. Uh, Is it going to, you know, change Congress as we know it today? No. Um, But I think one of the reasons why Congressman Hoyer and a lot of the appropriations members are so supportive of bringing earmarks back here is because right now we need, particularly after January 6th, we need every little step in the right direction we can get. And um, this is certainly that.
1: And obviously this conversation is moving pretty quickly right now as each of the caucuses works to set their rules. What is the timeline where folks should be involved involved and engaged in this process? If someone wants an earmarked funding for a project, should they be going out tomorrow and getting started? What does that look like?
0: Yesterday, don't wait. Whoever you work with in Washington to help you get your project done, every day you wait from here through you know the spring lessens your chances of success. Generally, we advise clients in the earmarking process to start in January and get ready. Obviously, we couldn't do that this year because the reality of the situation is this decision was only made in February. But we did actually tell uh, clients in January, start thinking about it. And we did start working with clients in January. So if, if you're hearing my mellifluous voice right now, and you're just thinking about this and thinking about getting started, I hate to sound like your mother or your father, but do it now. Don't wait.
1: That sounds like good advice. How do you think that COVID has played a role in this coming back? Obviously, infrastructure is a big potential economic boost. Do you think that if we weren't in these circumstances that this conversation would be different?
0: No, I think COVID has definitely played a role, um, probably psychologically or subconsciously for a lot of members who are seeing the direct impacts on their district um, of the virus and and wanting to channel help to their districts. And one of the things um, they can do is request specific projects. So one of the accounts, for instance, you request an earmark in here, are the labor health and human services accounts for uh, that support health facility construction. So a community that did not have sufficient health clinic capability before the virus a member can solve that problem in the appropriations process this year and and save lives going forward. So I think the virus made us all acutely aware of the vulnerabilities in our community and certainly made every member of Congress aware of that. And what um, community projects allow a member to do is to look forward this year and figure out what problems can I actually solve right now Um, with this process. And members who oppose these projects are missing that point. This is an opportunity for you to make a big difference in a way that sometimes a single piece of legislation can't.
1: I think those are all the questions that I have. Are there any other details or pieces of advice that you think are really important for folks to know about earmarks?
0: No, I would just make the point that you know, if, if you are out there in, you know, local government or state government or in a nonprofit and have the feeling from time to time that the federal government seems so far away and non-responsive, this is the one <clears throat> channel that allows you to solve a problem you're having by working with your elected representatives. In some sense, it is, it is a direct channel of democracy from the local level to Washington, and hopefully breaks down you know, some of the preconceptions about the federal government not being responsive. So um, I, I really counsel people, if you've got a community changing project that will really make a difference in your local community, um, this is a process that you need to look at and talk to your member of Congress about, talk to your Senator about, and if you, you need help, talk to
1: somebody like us. Great, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit
1: hklaw.com ppr.